The True Crime Beyond Bad podcast may contain material that is of a violent and graphic nature. This podcast may not be suitable for some people. You have been warned. Hello and welcome to the True Crime Beyond Bad podcast. My name is Rob and I will be your host. Welcome back everyone that has previously listened and a big welcome to those that are here for the first time. I hope you find this podcast informative and interesting. This is part two of the Peter Norris Dupass episode. So if you haven't listened to part one, I recommend you go back and listen to the story of this serial killer. This episode, we delve into the murders that Dupas has committed and the murders that he is suspected to have committed. Uh, I recommend a book called Rot in Hell by Jim Main um, for an in-depth look in, at Dupas. I've also used this book for some information along with uh, ABC News Australia, The Herald Sun, The Age and Wikipedia. So uh, sit back, relax and enjoy this episode. We'll start off with uh, Nicole Patterson. She was the third known victim of um, Dupas, uh, but she was the one he was arrested for, and then subsequently he was found to have killed um, a couple of other women. Um, So we'll start with Nicole. Uh, Nicole Amanda Patterson was born at Sandringham Hospital in Melbourne's Bayside suburb on May 8th, 1970 the daughter of Pam and William Patterson. Nicole had two siblings, Kylie and Andrew, both older than Nicole. She was the baby of the family. Nicole's father, William, better known as Bill, was an executive for a chain store, which meant the family often moved around Victoria, but also to Adelaide in South Australia and Perth in Western Australia. Nicole attended several primary schools and always shone. When in grade three, she sat for a scholarship for Cato, a campus of MLC, which is a a prestigious uh, ladies' college, where she won a a half scholarship. Then, in the first year of Cato, she won a full scholarship. Not only was Nicole bright, she was extremely talented and excelled in sport and music. Her years at Cato were interrupted by Bill's transfer to Adelaide and then Perth. But Nicole returned to Cato for seven for years seven and eight and passed the entrance exams for a highly prestigious government school, McRobertson's Girls Grammar, on the southern edge of the city of Melbourne. Nicole's mother Pam described Nicole as lively and mischievous. Nicole loved to play pranks. On completing secondary school, Nicole attended Swinburne for one year of an arts course but would have preferred media studies. Unfortunately, her VCE marks fell just short for the media studies course. Nicole ended her studies at Rusden College, completing Bachelor of Education and Psychotherapy course. Although she lived with her mother for a while after the breakup of her parents' marriage, she eventually moved out and lived with friends at various addresses. 
Nicole moved to a rented house in Harper Street, Northcote, in 1996. She shared the house with some friends until her brother Andrew briefly moved in. Once Nicole had settled into her house in Northcote, she converted the front bedroom into a consulting room for her psychotherapy practice. Unfortunately, clients were few and far between. Nicole would also spend her time at Breaking the Cycle, a private drug counselling group where she met boyfriend Richard Smith, a drug and alcohol counsellor. Nicole's psychotherapy was slow to take off, so she reverted to advertising in the local paper to help business. Unfortunately, the advertisement was read by Dupass. Dupass made 15 telephone calls in reply to the ad between March 3 and April 12 and eventually made an appointment for 9am on Monday, April 19. Police said that Dupass had used the name Malcolm and had provided a mobile telephone number, both of which Nicole had jotted down in a notebook. Nicole was happy that her ad had paid off and excitedly told friends of her appointment with a new client. On the morning of the appointment, Nicole had showered, dressed in a pale blue top, a darker blue light cardigan and a red skirt and black suede slip-on shoes. Nicole would have opened the front door around the appointment time of 9am. However, no one saw Nicole open the front door or saw Dupass arrive. Nicole had made herself and Dupass a plunger of coffee. One blue mug was half full with cold white coffee when police later arrived. The plunger was on its side, with coffee spilt into a tray and on the floor, and one empty brown pottery mug was found on the carpet. She had been attacked while she was having coffee. At 6.30pm of April 19, Nicole's close friend Regina Hoffman arrived at her house for a pre-arranged dinner date. After knocking on the door and receiving no answer, she opened the front door and walked into the horrific murder scene. Nicole's body was face up in the consulting room with her legs crossed at the ankles, with her navy blue underwear around and underneath her left ankle. Nicole's body had been horrifically mutilated. Her light blue top had been slashed off at the top and left in a pool of blood alongside Nicole's left shoulder. Her cardigan had been pushed down and Nicole's breasts had been removed. Nicole was naked from the waist down and a deep long slash had been inflicted to her inner right thigh. Other injuries include a gash to her abdomen, just under her pierced navel, and blood around her mouth and neck. Her head was lying slightly to her left and pointed to the doorway. Her arms were outspread. Hoffman immediately phoned for an ambulance, but Nicole was long dead. After calling an ambulance and police, Hoffman called a friend, Holly Cargill, to tell her that she thought that Nicole had committed suicide. The police had arrived before the ambulance. Constables Cherie McDuff and Anne Howley had rushed to Harper Street from the Northcote Police Station and it was then Hoffman realised her friend had not committed suicide but had been murdered. At 7.01pm, ambulance officers Tony Cuthbert, Ross Barkler and Rebecca Rose arrived to the house in Harper Street. They all agreed that it would be pointless trying to revive Nicole and return to the ambulance at the front of the house. Next to arrive was Sergeant Brian McCallum, 
followed by Detective Senior Constable Mel Stevenson and Ross Mitchell. And, finally, the Homicide Squad, led by Detective Senior Sergeant Jeff Maher. After seeing Nicole's body placed in an ambulance, Hoffman was driven to the Homicide Squad's headquarters in Sakilda Road to make her statement. Nicole's body was taken to the Coronial Services Centre, better known as the morgue, at Southbank. Pathologist Dr Matthew Lynch performed an autopsy the following day. He wrote in his report, At approximately 2200 hours on April 19, 1999, I was notified by the Office of the State Coroner of the discovery of a deceased woman with evidence of a chest injury at a premises in Northcote. I attended at the scene where I was met by Senior Sergeant Jeff Maher of the Homicide Squad. There I observed the deceased young adult Caucasian female lying supine. She had evidence of chest injuries and the breasts had been removed. She was naked from the waist down, although there was a pair of blue underpants present about the left ankle. The body was cold to touch and rigour was well established. An ambient temperature at 0100 hours on April 20, 1999 was 16 degrees Celsius and rectal temperature was 24 degrees Celsius. A rectal swab was taken prior to taking a rectal temperature. It was arranged for the body to be transported to the Victorian Institute of Forensic Medicine where a post-mortem examination commenced at 0900 hours on April 20, 1999. The order in which the injuries are described are in no way intended to indicate the order in which they were sustained. He then noted that the body was 59 kilograms and measured 167 centimetres. That would be 130 pounds and 5 feet 5 inches. The autopsy revealed Nicole had been stabbed 13 times to the back, chest and limbs with damage to both lungs and her heart and both her breasts had been removed. There were injuries to her right thigh, right wrist, and thumb and index finger, Dr Lynch noted. The incised injuries on both hands are classic examples of defence-type injuries. Nicole had fought for her life. Police were more than certain that the Malcolm that had the appointment for 9am the morning Nicole was murdered was a person of interest. Two witnesses had heard screaming from Nicole's house. Neighbour Phil Omovic said he had heard a woman yell loudly, you fucking cunt, and then a second time as he walked past Nicole's house just after 9am, April 19. He said that she didn't sound angry, but like she was upset at the person she was yelling at. The second witness, Bruce Thompson, who lived three doors down from Nicole, said he was on his front veranda at around 9.30am having a cigarette. Whilst on the veranda, he heard a brief scream. He said it sounded like a female voice and it came from further along the street to the left of his house. He looked up the street but didn't see anything. Later on, he said he saw a man walk down the street with a sort of intenseness. It, he wasn't running, but he was in a hurry. He had walked past him towards Wiscarth Street. He said that he had never seen this person before. Police wasted no time tracking down the mobile phone number that Nicole had written in her diary. It belonged to a 24-year-old La Trobe University student, Harbagan Singh Collie. 
who had bought the phone on March 14, 1999, soon after he arrived in Australia from India to study. Collie said that he had been looking for part-time work on the notice board at school and had rung around 60 numbers. On April 8th, he came across a notice for a job cleaning, gardening and general labouring work. The name given as a reference for this job was Peter and Collie made a call the next day. Peter explained that the work would not start until May 12 and asked him to give him his phone number so he could call him back. Inadvertently, he had given Peter Dupass his phone number. The police checked calls made to Nicole's landline and through Telstra discovered that a number of calls had been made through one particular number. A further check revealed that the number was leased to Mr Peter Dupass of Cohen Street, Pasco Vale. The police now knew that a serial violent sex offender who had spent a substantial number of years in jail had contacted Nicole Patterson in the days before she was killed. On April 22, three days after Nicole's murder, four Homicide Squad officers met at the Excelsior Hotel in Thomastown. They made their way to the gaming room where they confronted Dupass. Dupass wasn't shocked but was surprised to see the detectives. One of the officers noticed scratches on Dupass's face. Dupass was placed under arrest but denied having any knowledge of Nicole's murder and denied ever being in Harper Street, Northcote. The detectives drove Dupass to his home in Pasco Vale, arriving less than an hour after his arrest. One detective sat with Dupass in the car, while the other three searched Dupass's house. It was there they found more than enough to charge Dupass with murder. Soon after 1.30pm that day, Dupass's home was crawling with police, including members from the search and rescue, the force response unit and forensic specialists. They went over the house with a fine-tooth comb. They searched his house, the garage had been used for woodworking and rummaged through a wheelie bin. They found several items of interest, including several torn newspaper pieces on which the words Nicky, Northcote, Malcolm, 9am and part of a phone number had been written. The writings on the torn newspaper were matched to Dupass's handwriting. Other items of interest taken from Dupass's house were yellow PVC and cellophane tape, a blue jumper, overalls, shoes, a blue jacket and a blood-stained green jacket with a black balaclava in one of the pockets. Dupass was taken to Homicide Squad headquarters in St Kilda Road and interviewed by Detective Sergeant Mitchell in the presence of Detective Senior Sergeant Ma. At the completion of the interview, Dupass was taken from the interview room and was subjected to a medical exam. Blood samples taken from the jacket from Dupass's home provided a perfect DNA match with Nicole's blood. The chances of the blood stains on Dupass's jacket not matching Nicole's DNA profile were 6.53 billion to 1 stated by analyst Nigel Hall, the senior forensic scientist at VFSC. Police were meticulous compiling evidence for their case against Dupass. Before informing the media, Detective Senior Sergeant Ma contacted Nicole's mother to tell her the news that they had arrested a serial rapist in relation to Nicole's murder. Dupass's arrest made big news in Melbourne. 
with the Herald Sun newspaper running a huge headline stating Murder Charge on the front page of its April 23 edition. Dupas faced trial in Victoria Supreme Court from Monday, August 7th, 2000. There's a lot of information is described in the trial. I, I won't go into it here in this podcast. I want to keep the podcast short as possible. Um, but I do recommend reading the book Rot in Hell, which goes right into the trial. So if you're interested, I recommend it. After retiring for less than three hours, the jury returned to deliver a guilty verdict. On August 22, 2000, while sentencing Dupas to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole, Judge Frank Vincent remarked, The prospects of your eventual rehabilitation must be regarded as so close to hopeless that they can be effectively discounted. There is no indication whatsoever that you have experienced any sense of remorse for what you have done, and I doubt that you are capable of any such human response. At a fundamental level, as human beings, you present for us the awful, threatening and unanswerable question, how did you come to be as you are? Dupas appeared in the Supreme Court of Victoria Court of Appeal in August 2001 to appeal his conviction for the murder of Nicole. His appeal was dismissed. Although Dupas was caught, charged and convicted for the murder of Nicole, it was not his first. Margaret Marr. Margaret Josephine Marr was a 40-year-old sex worker working in the Melbourne area. Margaret was last seen alive at 12.20am, 4th of October 1997, at a local Safeway supermarket in the suburb of Broadmeadows. Her body was discovered under a cardboard box containing discarded computer parts at 1.45pm on the 4th of October 1997 by Ronald Frank MacDonald, who made the discovery whilst rummaging for aluminium cans beside Clifford's Road, Somerton, with his wife and children. A black woolen glove was found at the scene which was later DNA tested and matched Dupass's. A post-mortem examination revealed that Ma had suffered stab wounds to her left wrist, bruising to her neck, blunt force trauma with a cinder block to the area of her right eyebrow and lacerations to her right arm. Ma's left breast had been removed and placed in her mouth. Dupas was already serving a life sentence without parole for the murder of Nicole Patterson at the time of his arrest for the murder of Margaret Ma. With Dupas in custody, police were able to obtain a DNA sample, linking him to the 1997 murder of Ma. The trial for Ma's murder lasted for three weeks, where evidence was presented to the jury that the removal of Patterson's and Ma's breasts were so strictly similar as to be a signature or trademark common to both crimes. The jury took less than a day to convict Dupas of the murder of Ma. On the 16th of August 2004, Dupas was convicted of the 4th of October 1997 murder of Ma and sentenced to a second term of life imprisonment. On the 25th of July 2005, 
Dupas appeared in the Supreme Court of Victoria Court of Appeal to appeal his conviction for the murder of Ma. His appeal was dismissed. Mercina Helvargas Mercina Helvargas was a 25-year-old Melbourne woman murdered in an attack on the 1st of November 1997 while visiting her grandmother's grave in the Greek Orthodox section of the Faulkner Cemetery in Faulkner, a northern suburb of Melbourne. Mercina was born 17th of February 1972. She was employed in the group accounting section at the head office of the ANZ Bank in Melbourne. Messina was engaged to Angelo Gorgevsky, who she had met at a university ball in 1992. On the 1st of November 1997, Messina decided she would make one of her regular visits to her grandmother's grave at the Faulkner Cemetery. She borrowed her fiancé's car, a red Ford Telstar, drove it to the cemetery and parked in the cemetery car park. She bought some flowers from the kiosk for her grandmother's grave at 3.47pm. The woman that sold Messina the flowers was the last person to see her alive. Messina made her way to her grandmother's grave, which was about 50 metres from the kiosk. She was placing the flowers in a vase when she was attacked, suffering terrible stab wounds. She was attacked from behind. Several visitors to the cemetery heard screams, but thought nothing of them at the time. Messina was left dead between two headstones. At 6.45pm, Angelo had returned home from work where he found no sign of Messina. He started to search for her and then contacted police. Knowing Messina was going to visit her grandmother's grave, Angelo and the police went to the Faulkner Cemetery. About 4am, Angelo discovered Messina's body between three headstones near her grandmother's grave. The area was immediately cordoned off for a homicide investigation. Daylight had revealed the gravity of the scene. Messina had suffered multiple stab and slashing wounds, including deep gashes to the little and ring fingers on her left hand, clearly indicating that Messina had put up a fight, even grabbing the knife. Police removed several items from the scene for examination, including spectacles, hair fibres and shoes. They also examined the car Messina had driven to the cemetery and took numerous photographs. The post-mortem was performed by Professor David Ranson. Professor Ranson had also been involved in the murder of Margaret Ma. The post-mortem started at 5pm on the 2nd of November 12 and a half hours after the discovery of Messina's body. Messina had suffered 87 stab wounds about her knees, neck and most wounds concentrated around her breasts. Dupas's home in Cohen Street, Pasco Vale was nearby the cemetery. Nine witnesses identified Dupas as a man they saw at Faulkner Cemetery on the day of the murder. Dupas's grandfather's grave is located 128 metres from the crime scene. Dupas frequented the first and last hotel located opposite the Faulkner Cemetery. Dupas lied to police about a facial injury received about the time of the attack of Messina. Dupas had attempted to alter his appearance 
after Messina's murder. Dupas was identified by a woman from police photographs who said she saw him minutes before the attack, 20 metres from where the murder occurred. Professor David Ransom, who compared wounds suffered by Hal Vargas to the wounds suffered by Patterson and Ma, told the inquest there was insufficient evidence to suggest that wounds suffered by Hal Vargas were inflicted using the same knife or by the same person who had murdered Dupas's other victims. On the 1st of August 2006, the inquest was adjourned indefinitely following charges laid by police on Dupas for the murder of Hal Vargas. On the 2nd of September 2006, police collected Dupas from Barwon Prison and took him to the St Kilda Road Police Headquarters in Melbourne for questioning regarding the Hal Vargas murder. On the 11th of September 2006, police charged Dupas with the murder of Messina Hal Vargas after disgraced Melbourne lawyer Andrew Fraser revealed Dupas had confessed to the killing while the two of them were weeding the garden in Port Phillip Prison in 2002, where Fraser was serving a five-year sentence for drug trafficking. Fraser told police he once found a homemade knife concealed among the weeds at Port Phillip Prison and he called Dupas over to inspect it, which is when the confession occurred. Fraser said, We regularly used to find stuff hidden in the garden, drugs, weapons and other stuff. I once found a homemade knife and called Dupas over to show it to him. He took it off me and started handling it, almost caressing it in a sexual way. Dupas then started saying, Mercina, Mercina, over and over, with his strange look on his face. I was certainly left in no doubt that Dupas murdered Mercina. This wasn't some sort of jailhouse confession where somebody has gone in and sat in a cell one night and had a brew with another prisoner and somebody has allegedly said something. It's a lot stronger than that. Dupas and I spoke regularly, just the two of us. This was over months and months that he was talking to me and he confided in me. There was one occasion where another prisoner came up to us when we were gardening and started abusing Dupas. This prisoner was yelling at Dupas saying, You killed Messina, you killed Messina. After he had gone, Dupas turned to me and said, How does that cunt know I did it? Fraser agreed to give evidence against Dupas and Fraser was released from Fulham Correctional Centre in Sale on the 11th, 11th of September 2006, two months short of his five-year sentence. Fraser was also eligible to apply for the $1 million reward on offer leading to an arrest of Hal Vargas's murder. On the 26th of September 2006, Dupas appeared via video link in the Supreme Court of Victoria, charged with murder of Messina Hal Vargas, entering a plea of not guilty. The trial for the murder of Messina Hal Vargas ran for 22 days. Dupas was found guilty of the murder of Messina Hal Vargas on the 9th of August 2007 and appeared for a pre-sentencing hearing eight days later. Dupas was sentenced to his third life sentence with no possibility of parole. On the 10th of September 2007, 
Lawyers for Japas submitted an appeal on the basis the verdict of guilty for the murder of Hal Vargas was unsafe and unsatisfactory. On the 17th of September 2009, Dupas's appeal against the conviction was upheld in Victoria's Court of Appeal by a two-to-one majority. Ah, but it doesn't stop there. Dupas is suspected to have committed additional murders. Helen McMahon. Helen McMahon was a 47-year-old woman found bashed to death on Rye Beach on the 13th of February 1985. It was thought that Dupas was in prison at the time of McMahon's murder and was not released until two weeks later. However, investigators learned that Dupas was on pre-release leave from prison and living in the Rye area when McMahon was killed. McMahon was sunbathing topless on the beach when attacked. Her body was discovered naked, covered by her beach towel. The location of the murder of McMahon was nearby to the location where Dupas had earlier raped a 21-year-old woman at a beach in Blairgowrie, for which he was convicted and served a term of imprisonment. Police believe McMahon may have been Dupas's first murder victim, although her murder officially remains unsolved. Renita Brunton Dupas is a suspect in the murder of 31-year-old Renita Brunton at Sunbury, Victoria in 1993. Kathleen Downs Dupas is a suspect in the murder of 95-year-old Kathleen Downs at the Brunswick Lodge Nursing Home in Brunswick. Downs was stabbed to death at 6.30am on the 31st of December 1997, a month after Hal Vargas's murder. Police investigations revealed Dupas had telephoned the nursing home sometime before the murder. Dupas was charged with Downs' murder in February 2018. Dupas was due to face trial, but prosecutors discontinued the case because the key witness, disgraced lawyer and convicted drug trafficker Andrew Fraser was too sick to give evidence. Supreme Court Justice Peter Ullman said, the decision did not constitute an acquittal and noted Dupas could be re-indicted on the murder charge at any time. Mrs Downs' granddaughter, Jody Downs, was in court for the decision. While the family are disappointed about the outcome, we completely understand the circumstances and would like to thank police and prosecutors, she said. Well, that's it for Peter Dupas. He's going to rot in hell in prison for the rest of his life. Uh, hopefully someone will uh, give him some prison justice while he's in there because he certainly deserves it. Uh, I hope you found this uh, informative and I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, please join us on Facebook, Twitter, and I, and just look for the True Crime Beyond Bad podcast. Um, and also I have a webpage, uh, www truecrimebeyondbad.com and join us you can listen to the to the podcasts there and all the archive all the archives and all that so again thank you very much and hope to see you or have you listen uh again shortly see ya
I blew my girlfriend away tonight.